person who watches YouTube and believes I can do anything. Anyone else? No one else does that? All right. You know, um, as we walk through the season of life that we're in, uh, there's lots of things that are unknown. Have you noticed this? Am I the only one? Everybody knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And my problem is, is that I like a plan. Does anyone else like a plan? Is there anyone else in this room besides me that says, I would prefer to have a plan? There's a few people. All right. The rest of you, have a party. I, when, you ha, when you attend something, or when you're planning something, or when something's about to happen, an event, and you, you look to the person who you're, who's doing the event, and you say, what's the plan? And they say, oh, we'll figure it out when we get there. That, like, stresses me out. <laughs> like, just tell me what is going to happen. Tell me what the plan is. Give me the schedule of events. I just want to know what I'm getting into. I want to know what I'm getting into. And unknowns sometimes are... <laughs> unknowns aren't things that we always like. And we could say, oh, I'm a go-with-the-flow kind of person. But we have to acknowledge that when we're stepping into unknown places sometimes that that does something to us. Our bodies respond in a certain way. Our minds, our heart begins to race and respond in different ways. And uh, I want to talk to you this morning about confidence. And last week, we talked about hope, restoring hope. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that message, you can do so on our YouTube page or on our church app. But we left off with this passage in Romans 15 that says in verse 13, where Paul writes, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this word came, stuck out to me, this word confident. Confident hope. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes with hope, the, 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 the most hope that you can muster up it is, well, I hope it works out. And you're just, you're leaving it up to to chance. You're leaving it up to like, well, I, I just, I hope that something good happens. Have you ever like not studied for a test and then you took the test and you think to yourself, well, I hope I passed. That's, that's not a real hope. See, the hope that God gives is a confident hope. And I believe that God wants to reinstill some confidence in his people. Because I think over the last year or two that we've been shaken a little bit. That, that we've had things coming at us that we've never had come at us before. I don't know about you. Has there been anything in the last two years that you, if you would have looked 10 years ago and looked forward and say, well, I saw that coming. Maybe, maybe a couple of you. But for the most part, we have these things come at us and they, they shake us up a little bit. They shake us up. They, they, they bring us to these places where you go, now what do I do? How do I? Now, now this happened, and, and I didn't expect that, and this wasn't the outcome I was looking for, and now I'm disappointed, or now I'm confused, and now I don't know if I can have confidence. I don't know when I pray to God if I can do it with confidence. I don't know that when I pray in faith that, that I really, I feel like I can go to the Lord and say, God, I confidently come to you because I just don't know what's going to happen next. And these are the real struggles that we have within us. I, I don't know about you, have you, anyone besides me ever prayed a prayer that you feel like God didn't answer the way that you prayed it? Okay, so then how do you go to God and you pray again and you say, God, I confidently come to you. 
This is the faith that God puts in us. This is how we, this is the struggle of the walk. But I want you to know we serve a God who is good, a God we can go to with confidence. And this morning I want to talk to you about why we can go to him with confidence and how we can go to him with confidence. How do you go to the Lord with confident hope in a world of unknowns, unknown outcomes? We live in a world of unknowns. And if you didn't know that, you've been hiding somewhere. And you have no technology, you have no interaction with other people. This is a world, there are so many unknowns in our world. And people want answers to questions. They want to know what is COVID going to do next. They want to know that. They want to know when the next wildfire is going to be. Where's that going to happen? Where's the next hurricane? Are the murder hornets coming back? I don't know. What's happening? Like, this is where we're at. Like, who knows what's happening next? Like, nothing should be a surprise at this point, and yet there's all unknowns. And how do you walk a life in confidence? How do you move forward with confidence right in the middle of a bunch of unknowns? This is the challenge that we have to face. See, for many people, and I would say for a lot of people, unknowns bring with them a sense of fear. Sometimes some panic or some anxiety, feeling stuck with a loss of control. Does anyone else like control? Anyone like control? Yeah, somebody, I, I mean, you want to feel in control. And, and for many people, this is what this last year or two has felt like, and I believe that God has better for us, his people. That he, he has equipped us, he has given us more, he has poured into us something greater than just a life of panic and anxiety and fear. Because in addition to a pandemic, we have a pandemic of fear that is happening in our world. Like in addition to all of the unknowns already around us, there is a fear that, that grips people all over the world right now. And I believe that God wants to bring us to a higher plane and to a higher place. That doesn't mean that there is never going to be a moment in your life again where you, don't, where you have fear. It also doesn't mean that if you ever have a fear of something that you don't have faith. If you wake up in the middle of the night and there is a spider on your face and you scream because you're afraid, that doesn't mean, well, you have so little faith that that spider wasn't going to bite you. He was a friendly spider. No, he wasn't. He was looking for blood, right? There are things in life where we just naturally, it happens. And we've got to reconcile this thing between how, how do I walk out this life of confidence? How do, I, how do I walk forward in this understanding that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but that he's put a confidence in me, a confidence in the world of unknowns, a, a confidence where, where even though my confidence is shaken sometimes, that God will come and meet me and he'll restore my confidence. Some of you need confidence restored to you today. We look in the Old Testament at a man named David. And David was, he, became, he was a king, but before he was a king, he went through a whole lot of things. And we, we often look at the life of David, and if you don't know who David is, he's the, he's the David of David and Goliath. So if you've ever watched like any Hollywood movie, like the whole theme of David and Goliath is in almost all of them, where the underdog has to come out on top. Like David and Goliath, we think of David and Goliath, and that was David. And then the next thing we think about David is he was the king. But there's this whole time in between where his life wasn't going 
very well. In fact, he spent most of his life on the run. He spent several years on the run. He was hunted. He was on the run because there was a king that was trying to kill him. There was a king that was trying to kill him. You see, God had anointed him as the next king. So here he is. He knows, I am the chosen king, and yet the current king is trying to kill him. And there's nothing he can do about it at this point. So he's hunted. He's outcast. He was homeless. He had a terrible season of life that lasted longer than 18 months. He had a season of life where there was, everything was unknown. He didn't know where he was going to get his next meal. And to make matters worse, several hundred people decided to join up with him. And now he was responsible for figuring out how they were going to eat, but he didn't even know how he was going to eat. And so he's going through this process in this time, and he begins to write in a lot of the Psalms, you see the heart of David begin to come out where he begins to just pour his heart out to the Lord and say, this is where I'm at, God. And I want you to know that's an appropriate response in your relationship with the Lord. That you go to the Lord and you say, God, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. And I'll tell you, the Lord already knows where you're at, so you don't have to pretend that you can hide it from him. And so you say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with, or this is, this is what I'm going to stand on. And in the midst of this chaos in David's life, in the midst of of being hunted down, in the midst of probably at times he he was stolen from. He came back to camp one night and and it was wiped out. Like his belongings were stolen. Even like his children and his men's wives, like it, it was ravaged. Like he went through hard stuff. And yet he pens in Psalm 27 the following words. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me. It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Even though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. And some of you feel that you're in that place today. Maybe someone here, maybe someone who's watching online on our YouTube page. You get to this place when you feel like, oh my goodness, I feel like the wicked are advancing against me. I feel like there's something coming for me that's going to devour me. I feel like there's something, whether it's a sickness that's going to come devour you, whether it's a person, whether it's a situation, whether it's the loss of a job, whatever it happens to be, it feels like everything is stacked against you. And yet David says, even then will I be confident. Even then will I be confident. How can David say this? And this is the question that I was processing through this week. How can David say, even then will I be confident? And he begins to tell us here the reasons why he can be confident. And I believe that I I want David to encourage us this morning. That David would encourage us and speak to us and show us we can be confident even though, even though it seems like the wicked is advancing, even though it seems like, like there's an army coming after us, even though there is fear, even though there is all of these things that are happening, all these unknowns, even then will I be confident. And the first thing he tells us is this. Why can I be confident? Why can I be confident? Why was David confident? The first thing he says is, well, here's what I know. I know that 
The Lord is my light. I know that the Lord is my light. Does anyone else know that? That God brings light to your life. God will bring light to your life. He will bring that light. The, does anyone recall the very first words that God spoke in the entire Bible? It's at the very beginning. Let there be light. First thing that God said in the Bible, in Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. And so God is light, and he is the bringer of light. And so David recognized that God is his light, that the Lord is his light. Now, why does that matter? The reason that matters is because, on the other hand, you have what Paul writes in Ephesians, the ruler of darkness. That we have the ruler of darkness, the enemy, Satan. We have the ruler of darkness that represents every wicked thing, every evil thing, every sickness, every defiled thing, everything that is, stands against the holiness of God. You have darkness. All over the New Testament, you see this writing and these analogies of the fact that we were once in the kingdom of darkness, but now we're in the kingdom of light. And you see this dark and light. You see it all over the place. You see it in the movie. You see it in Star Wars, right? You see the, the force, and you see the dark, and you see the light. You see it's, it's thematically all woven throughout Scripture, that there is a darkness. And what we need to know is that in the darkness is where fear thrives, in the darkness is, is where fear comes and it hides in the shadows. And it begins to produce these unknowns in our life. Have you ever noticed that the shadow is generally bigger than the actual object? You remember, I remember as a kid walking down the street and you, it was so fun to see your shadow and the shadow was three or four times bigger than you were. And it was pretty, pretty amazing. The shadow is just, it, it looks so much bigger than the actual object that the shadow is being cast by. And that's how the enemy works. He casts shadows. He makes things seem bigger than they really are. You've probably heard it said that fear stands for fear, uh, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. That fear comes because there's these shadows. There's these shadows. Now, now there is a fear, like I said, like when there's a spider on your face, God put in us a physiological response to fight back against those things. But I'm talking about the, the unknowns of fear, the things in which our mind begins to run down a path and begins to plot out a course of bad things happening when we don't actually have the evidence that it's there and that it's going to happen because the shadow is so large, we begin to get frozen in fear. And so how do I get rid of fear? Now, here's the thing. We we try to look at fear, we try to look at darkness, and, and we just try to say, go away, leave me alone. But here's the thing, darkness doesn't just go away. You don't remove darkness, you overpower it with light. You see, darkness is, is the absence of light. And so when you're in darkness, the solution is to bring light into it and to turn the light on and let the light overpower the darkness. It's kind of like, I was thinking, of, for some reason, randomly, I was thinking about refrigerators. You ever wonder how refrigerators produce cold? Well, they don't. They remove heat. You see, there's, there's, 
we think in these terms of like, I've got to push back. I've got to have some more faith in order for this darkness to go away. I've got to have this, this better thing. I've got to be a, a better person, a stronger person if I'm going to overpower this darkness. No, you don't. You bring the light and you allow the light to overpower the darkness. And when the light is the light of Jesus Christ, in John 1, 5, it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so when we get into these unknown situations, the best thing you can do is to stop and say, God, would you shed some light on this situation? God, would you show me what's really going on here? God, would you bring your light into this? Will you illuminate this? God, will you expose the wickedness? Will you bring clarity, Lord? Will you bring truth? God, bring your light. So David says, the Lord is my light. But he also says, he's not just a light, he is my salvation. God is my salvation. In him I will trust. This word in the Hebrew, yesha, means deliverance, rescue, salvation, and victory. How did David not fear when an army besieged him? He knew that God would be his rescue. He knew that God would bring victory. And even when he had no strength, he knew his God would not run out of it. We see in Acts 4.12, Peter preached, he said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You see, we don't have to fear evil because God has ultimately delivered us from it. He has delivered us from it. And when, when we're, we're walking into this life and we say, God, I don't have strength. I don't have enough. I don't know if I can bail myself out of this situation. I don't know. God, you need to be my salvation again and again. And God will come and he will save and he will rescue. Has anyone ever experienced that in your life where God will step in and rescue you in a situation that you realize you shouldn't be in? Do you ever make a decision that you realize was a poor one and God delivers you? by his grace. He is a God who saves. He is also our refuge. David had confidence in the Lord because he knew that God was the bringer of light, that God would overshadow the darkness, that the, the salvation of God would be there, that the refuge of God would be there. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, and this stronghold is a is a place of refuge, it's a fortified piece of, uh, place of safety. So when a city was under attack, you would put the most important things and the most important people in the stronghold, in the place where you couldn't get through. It was the place of protection. Kind of like in the 1950s. Does anyone remember like the nuclear arms race and the Cold War and all this stuff, right? In the 50s, there was this time where... Um, Russia was telling the world, we're making nuclear bombs and we're going to blow everybody up. That was the threat. And so there was this fear across America. And so people started building fallout shelters. So you would have these shelters, these underground shelters where you'd go in. And if there was a nuclear bomb, then you could go and you'd be sealed in and you'd be safe and you could survive the nuclear meltdown of the world, right? And there's been tons of sci-fi movies probably written about the, that. At one point, by the end of the 1950s, 40% of Americans surveyed said, yeah, we're considering building a fallout shelter. Fear had gripped the heart of a country. Fear had gripped the heart of people. And what they were needing was a refuge. They needed a refuge. They said, we've got to go somewhere safe. But what they missed 
was that the refuge that they were seeking was a temporary refuge. It was a solution for one situation. But a nuclear bomb wasn't the only danger in this world. We, we've, we've found that in this season, in this life that we're in, it doesn't have to be one giant thing. It can be small things that begin to destroy from within. And God is the only refuge. And David said, the Lord is the stronghold. He is the refuge. He is the fallout shelter of my life. And when you get to places in your life when you feel like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep going. I can't keep living this way. I'm feeling like I'm paralyzed. This is when you go to the Lord and you say, God, I need you to be my fallout shelter. I need you to be my stronghold. I need you to be my refuge because God, I feel like all this is advancing against me. That the wicked is coming against me. God, I feel like an army is coming for me. I feel like, Lord, I'm in the middle of a war. Now, you might feel like it's a war. It might feel like a real war. Maybe it's an ideological war. There's definitely one of those going on in our world right now. There's wars happening in us socially and all around us. And we look at these things and we say, God, I am struggling in the middle of all of this. And we walk forward and we say, confess to God, God, I need a refuge. Because if I don't have a refuge in you, if you aren't my stronghold, God, I don't have anywhere to turn. And all I have is fear. All I have is this fear and I have no confidence. But church, you can be confident in this. The Lord is your light and salvation. He is the stronghold of your life. And I believe God wants to restore your confidence, restore your resolve in your faith. How will God restore confidence? Does anyone besides me believe that God on our side can bring us confidence? Like we look at what David said. Dave, those were David's reasons. And you might have other reasons. You might have other reasons, but like, Lord, I've come to you time and time again, and every time, God, you continue to come through. God, that time when I was without a job for a year, somehow you miraculously provided even though there was no income coming in. And you might have these, these things in your life. God, when I was making a mess of my life, when I was stuck in addiction, or when I was, when I was making terrible decisions, God, you still rescued me from it. And you have your reasons, God. I need to look, you need to look back sometimes in your life at the goodness of God and say, God, I believe that even in this moment, God, I can be confident because I see what you've done throughout my life. And this is what David did. He looked back and he said, I can be confident. And so I ask you this morning to think through this week, why? Why? What is your why? What is your why? If you don't have a why, use David's whys. This is a confidence that we should have in our Lord. Listen, if we don't have a confidence in our God, we're no different than the rest of the world. We're no different. When things hit, we should be just as afraid. When things hit, we should be just as terrified if we have no confidence in our God. But I have a confidence in my God. And I don't always understand my God. Is there anyone who all the time completely understands everything that God does or does not do. Anyone? Okay. Same here. And yet, there's something in my spirit that rises up and says, God, yet I will still put my hope in you. I will still put my faith in you. I will still put my confidence in you, even when I'm shaken. God, I can be confident in you. And I want to share with you just a few things that David did, and I believe that if we were to do the same things, I think we would find this confidence welling back up 
within us. Did you know that in this season of our world, Jesus needs a confident church? Not, not a church that's, that's, that's going to be wishy-washy. Not a church that's, that's going to kind of just, I don't know, and, and try to pander. and Like, a confident church is what Jesus has created. Read the end of the book. Read, read Revelation. It's a, kind of a weird and scary book with a whole bunch of visions that nobody's completely figured out yet. But you, you, you see a, a, a Jesus who is a powerful, strong, like ripped fire in his eyes. Like you see a Jesus, a confident Jesus. Like it's Marvel Jesus, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like it's, a di- it's, it's, not, it's not a mild Jesus. It's, it's not a suffering servant Jesus. This is a Jesus who is going to return with power and authority for his church. And we are in a season in our world, when you look around and the people that you talk to in this world are afraid. The people that you talk to in this world are suicidal. The people that you talk to in this world are without hope. They're stuck in anxiety. They don't know where they're going to turn. They feel like they, all these unknowns, their life is going to fall apart. And they are looking for something bigger than themselves to save them. We have God as our salvation. We have God as our light. We have God as our refuge. And church, if we don't stand apart, if we don't look any difference, if we have the exact same amount of zero hope that the world has, if we have no confidence and all the same exact level of fear the world has, then what are we doing? How big is our God really? And so God says, I want to bring a confidence in my church. Because... I believe that the Lord has uniquely positioned the church in this time in history to have a louder voice than it's ever had before. To begin to speak truth into this world that I believe that God is opening the ears of the world to hear the truth that can save them. I remember back in uh, 2001, about a month from now, 20 years ago, right after 9-11 happened in our world, our nation had their ears more open to the gospel than ever before. And we are in a time in our world where there is so much happening, so much sickness, so much evil, so many things happening that have shaken people up that God, I believe, wants to raise up a confident church that will be able to walk out. Not a stupid church. Don't go to a COVID party. Like, not a church that's, that's, that's ignorant or that's foolish or that's brash. A church that walks in a wisdom, but a confident one. One that walks in and says, I refuse to bow down to the wickedness. I refuse to bow down to the fear because I will be confident that God is bigger than all of this. Amen? And so, church, when you, when you leave, I'm like way on a soapbox. So when you leave this tent, when you walk out the walls of a church, you, you got to make sure that when your voice gets loud, that you are preaching the agenda of the kingdom of God and not the agenda of your preference. That you are speaking out that it is what God is going to do, that we need to give hope to the world. And so we go out with confidence. And here's what David did. Let's go down to verse 13. 
He says, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. But David's how. He was confident. He, he, he did something. He began to speak to himself. And the first thing he did was that he declared his destiny. He declared his destiny. He said, I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I will see God's goodness here on earth before I go into eternity. Listen, we will all go into eternity. Jesus will return one day. And whether that's he takes us all at once or whether that's the end of our individual life where we go and be with Jesus, right? There, is, there, there will be a goodness of God because we will be with him. And there is, this is where we're different than the world. We have something to look forward to. We have a hope to look forward to. And there's a confidence that we can have because we can say, not only will I see God's goodness then, but I declare in my life that I will see the goodness of God in this life. I will see the goodness of God like I saw it last time. I will see the goodness of God again in my life, even in your darkest, hardest places. Begin to declare out the destiny that the Lord has for your life. Declare his goodness over your life. Put your eyes ahead and not always over your shoulder saying, oh no, what's coming after me? Stop looking around at what's happening to everyone else and begin to declare the goodness of God in your life. In Proverbs 4, 25 to 27, it says, look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked and keep your feet from following evil. If you're defeated today, don't get sidetracked by that defeat and stuck there. If you are discouraged today, don't get sidetracked and stuck there because you will see the goodness of God. Begin to declare the destiny that God has for your life. And so David begins to declare out who his God is and what his God has for him. If you don't know what God has for you, I would encourage you to get on your knees before the Lord and say, God, I am so discouraged. God, I don't know. I, I'm lost. I don't know what you have for me. God, would you show me through your word? Will you speak to me, God? What is it that I can stand on? You will see God's goodness in your life. But then David, after declaring that, he actually shifts into something here. He begins instructing himself. He begins giving himself instructions. It's like you're watching the YouTube video and it's telling you how to change the brakes on your car and you're just following step by step. David's doing the same thing, but he's the one talking. He's saying, here, here, David, here's what I need you to do. And sometimes you've got to do the same thing. And I talked about this a little last week. Sometimes you've got to tell yourself what to do. And David says this, he says, listen, wait on the Lord. He reminds himself, I've got to wait on the Lord. I've got to expect the Lord. This means to look for and expect God to move. I bet that David's timeline and God's timeline were not a perfect match. Because when, when Samuel poured the oil over David and said, I'm, the Lord has anointed you as the next king of Israel, he was, he was pretty young at that point. I mean, I'm sure his expectation was, okay, sometime in the next few months, the current king's going to die or something, I'm going to be king. And yet, that's not what happened. 
In fact, what followed was a life on the run. And you've got to wonder in those times, if you're David, God, did I hear you wrong? Did the prophet hear you wrong? What's going on, Lord God? I expected that this was going to happen in a month or two, and he didn't expect, but God's timeline was different than his. And he said, I will just continue to wait on you, Lord, because I have a guy confidence is in you. I will wait for you to deliver me. In fact, David actually had several opportunities to murder the king and take the throne for himself. Lots of opportunities. He had opportunities where Saul was so dumb that David was there and could have just killed him and said, okay, God, your timeline wasn't fast enough for me. I just had to go ahead and take matters into my own hands. But David understood something, that when we do that, we make a bigger mess. We make an absolutely bigger mess in our life because we look at it and we say, God, it's not possible. Like Abraham and Sarah made the same mistake. I mean, God said, you are going, the, the generations, I'm going to bless you with numerous, with the stars in the sky, generations. There, Abraham's 100 years old and he has no kids and his wife's in like her 70s. If God came to you when you were that age and said, I'm going to, you're going to bear a child. Hmm, <laughs> God. And I don't know what I ate last night, but that was not God. So what did Abraham and Sarah do? They were like, well, God, we know you said it, but you're taking too long. In fact, <laughs> you should have just told us this like 50 years ago and it might have worked out. So God, we've got this servant over here. She's a lot younger. She can bear children. So Abraham, why don't you go ahead and just be with her and then she'll have the child and then we'll make God's plan happen for him. What did they create? A mess. And when they ended up God actually ended up coming through on his promise. Surprise. You see, when God is your light and your salvation and your refuge, you can wait on him with confident hope. You can wait on him with confidence. You've got to say, God, I will wait for you, even though your timeline doesn't look like mine. The second thing David did was that he told himself, David, you need to be strong right now. You need to be firm. You need to stand firm. You need to be persistent. You need to be determined. I was looking up this word, and one of the definitions was obstinate. And he said to himself, be obstinate. Now, you've never probably told someone in your household, hey, would you be obstinate for me? <laughs> oh, no, you probably told them to stop. But here's, here, this word obstinate has a negative connotation, but I want to read you the definition of obstinate. Stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or cho chosen course of action despite attempts to persuade one to do so. God's looking for an obstinate church, an obstinate people that despite attempts to influence, despite attempts to, to, to come in and to ruin and to say, well, just give in. This is just the way of the world. Don't worry, I know the Bible says that that's not okay and that's a sin, but the world's accepted it, so get on, move, over, move on, just get on with it. But no, he says, look, we're, I'm not going to change my opinion because the world changed its opinion. I'm going to align my opinion with the opinion of the Word of God. I'm not just going to change my course because the world thinks this is the best route. I'm going to go with what the Lord has said in His Word and what He's spoken into my life. I will stand firm. And I wonder what would happen in our lives if we were stubborn enough to refuse to believe the lies of the enemy that come into our life. 
What would happen if we were so stubborn that when the enemy began to lie to us and tell us you're not good enough, you've got nothing to give, you're going to die, you're going to get sick, you're going to not make it, nobody wants you, nobody appreciates you, and we were to stand in that place and say, you know what? I refuse to believe that. I'm going to be stubborn for a moment, and I'm going to believe that what my God says over my life is what's going to hold, and I'm not going to believe in this. I'm not going to buy into these lies. I'm not going to play into this game. I am going to be confident because what God says over me is life, not death. In Proverbs 10, 25, it says, when the storm is swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. And some of you have been through a storm. And some of you are in the middle of a storm. But God's word says that if you will put your hope in him, if you will be confident in him, when the storm is over, you'll still be standing. And some of you need to hear that this morning in the middle of your storm. That God would declare over your life that if you will wait on him, if you will put your hope in him, if you will remain confident in him, when the storm is over, you're going to still be standing. When this storm passes by, you will still be standing. I know so many pastors and churches. I know churches that have completely shut down, gone out of business. I, I, there is so much discouragement happening in our world. But I believe that when this storm is over, the church will still stand and will stand stronger than ever and will be a lighthouse and a beacon of hope to our world. Because that's what God's word says. And finally... Mike, you can come join me here and we'll close shortly. He tells us to receive courage. In the translation I read us, it says, take heart. Literally, it's translated like this. And God will put courage in your heart. If you would wait on the Lord, if you would say, God, I'm waiting on you. God, I'm hoping in you. God, my confidence is in you. God, I'm going to stand firm even though I feel like I'm too weak to do so. God, I'm going to stand. I'm not going to buy into this. I'm not going to buy into the lies. It says God will begin to just breathe courage into your heart. He'll begin to encourage you. Literally, encourage means to put courage into. Courage is strength in the face of pain or grief. The ability to conquer fear. This is what we need in this world in this moment in history is we need strength in the face of pain and grief because there is grief. There is grief. I mean, I, you've had grief. I've had grief. We just lost a dear sister in the Lord a week ago. And I've had grief. I've had sorrow. But I also, because I hope in the Lord, I have strength in the face of that grief. And that courage that helps me conquer that fear to say, God, I will rise above. I won't buy into the fear. I will have my confidence in you. And you can actually go to the Lord and say, God, would you put some courage in my heart? Some of you feel like you're floundering and you need to go to the Lord and say, God, I'm waiting on you. God, I'm standing firm as I can, but God, I can't. I need you to encourage me. I need you to, to place that courage in me. And I believe God wants to encourage you today. The courage to navigate what's coming what you're facing, what's next, what you've just been through, to restore a confidence in you. That God desires a confident church. Where despite what you see all around you, and there's plenty to see. Oh, there's plenty to see. Man, there's plenty to see. If you've ever 
watched the movie The Greatest Showman. Well, great movie, great musical, love the music. The life of P.T. Barnum. People went in and they were like, this is a freak show. Like they went in and everything they saw around them, like this is a mess. There's all kinds of crazy stuff happening all in here. I don't know. That's like the world we're living in. You look around and it's just like, what in the world? I can't believe that. Wow, they had found a way to invent a new sin. I didn't even know that was possible. And you look around and, 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 and you're like, what, what is happening? And yet in the middle of all of it, we've got to be able to stand firm and say, you know what? I will be confident in my God. I will be confident that I am who he made me to be. I am confident in what he says about who I am. I will be confident that he will be my refuge, that he will be my protection, that I don't have to fear, that I can live a life in confidence. Would you stand this morning as we close? I want to pray over you today. I want to pray this scripture over you out of Hebrews 10, 39, and then we'll, we'll close today. And if you're in a place where you feel like your confidence has been shaken. I would ask you to just be vulnerable for a moment and do one of two things. If you've been rattled, if you've been conf- if your confidence is shaken, if you're struggling with fear right now or anxiety right now, whatever it may be, that when we pray, come to close in prayer, you just come forward and have someone pray for you. Or, or if that seems terrifying enough, then raise your hand right where you're at. And if you see a hand, near you, just pray for someone near you because we're the church. Everybody in this room is qualified to pray. Everybody in this room is qualified to go to the Lord and fight for one another. And so if you, if you need to just, if you need to get some courage today and say, I got to step out, I got to come forward. I, I just need to confess to the Lord. I'm struggling. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I'm fearful. I'm shaken. Then let us pray with you or raise your hand, but I want to pray this over you. So would you just close your eyes? Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord. We declare Hebrews 10, 39 over our lives. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Lord, we will be a church that doesn't shrink back. We will be a people. We will be a bride. We will be your children who won't shrink back and are destroyed, who won't wither into fear. But Lord, we will stand in confidence in who you are. We will stand in faith, Lord God. And we know that you will preserve us, that you will sustain us, that you will keep us, Lord. And so, Lord God, we right now we give you our anxieties. We give you our worries. We give you our fears. Lord God, we give you our uncertainties, Lord. We give you our struggles, Lord God. We give you the places where we've been shaken, the places where we've been just a little bit just just shaken up, Lord God, and uncertain and disappointed, Lord. We give it to you, Lord God. And we say, God, we need you to be my confidence today. I need you to be my confidence, Lord God. I put my, my hope in you, Lord. You are my light and my salvation. You are my stronghold, my strong tower, my refuge. Lord God, raise up a confident people who the world would look to and say, I need that. And let your light go forth with us, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.